Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Jake Clopton today. Today, you're going to make sense of the macroeconomic crosswinds that we are dealing with and how that relates to greater success in commercial real estate investing, whether you're investing in multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, retail, office, industrial, you name it, whatever asset class you focus on, or maybe you're focusing on residential and you wanna make a leap to commercial, you're gonna make more of a, really a better sense of what's happening and how that relates to your own strategic decisions, how that relates to pivots that you might consider making or perhaps uh, should be considering making in your own investing. So today is so valuable. I'm excited about this. I'm excited for you to gain more clarity on where the debt markets are going, uh, where equity is going and how that relates to perhaps some investment decisions that you may be considering, how things are shifting in the interest rate environment, how geopolitical moves across the world are infecting or infecting are affecting more importantly, your portfolio and the way that you make decisions and so much more. So I'm excited about this conversation. I want to encourage you to buckle up because Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I am a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. I want to encourage you to pay the fee. The fee is to share this episode with one person. All you have to do is grab that link, send in a text message, email, or share that on social media. We just ask very, very kindly that you do so. And that's the only way that we can really grow. And growth is important for us to continue to be able to invest in this podcast, to be able to invest in this community, this platform, um, which I believe is a movement. And it has become a movement. And Elevate Nation is not just a you know, a thought, it is a real thing. And we're just so thankful to welcome you and to have you as part of Elevate Nation. You're important. You're important to us. You're important to my team. You're important to me. And I uh, hope that it comes through to you uh, through the sincere value that we strive to bring you every single day. So just ask you to pay the fee. Again, that's to share this with one person. Share this episode with one person. If it's your first time listening to Elevate, welcome. And uh, you're going to love this. I, I really, really, truly believe that uh, you're going to love this podcast. You're going to love this movement. And uh, this is bigger than any of us individually. Uh, I also want to encourage you to give us a rating, review, and sh uh, subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. That is important to us as well. And we appreciate every single review, every single rating. We read every single one from the bottom of my heart and our team's heart. We are so thankful for you. With all that said, I want to introduce you to Jake Clopton. I'm going to do it very briefly. 
And I will tell you that Jake works with commercial real estate owners throughout the United States, providing finance solutions for commercial mortgages, bridge loans, home builder financing, construction, and joint venture equity. Alongside his equity partners or their equity partners with Clopton Capital, they deliver highly competitive rates, terms, and structure, typically not available through local bank lending. And you're going to learn so much in this episode. And I had so much fun. I hope it comes through. So please, without further ado, please enjoy this amazing discussion with Jake Clopton. Jake Clopton, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? I appreciate it. I'm good. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, man. It's uh, it's funny. Before the uh, before we started recording here, the first thing you said was, man, we live in, I don't know exactly your phrase, but we live in a crazy world. And I could not agree more. In fact, my response was, we have crosswinds flying in every direction from an economic standpoint, uh, you know, from a geopolitical standpoint. It is an interesting time to be alive. That is for sure. I'm excited about our discussion today because I think it'll put some more context around the way that you think about things, the way that you're seeing things, which will help folks make more sense of this and sort of make decisions in the midst of chaos in, in many capacities. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, but Jake, if you were to uh, you know describe yourself before we dive into this conversation in the way that the people that know you best would describe you, just to give folks a little bit of a context in terms of who you are behind sort of your professional uh, bio, behind sort of your professional image and the way that you add value uh, in commercial real estate, how would folks who know you best describe you? I would say, you know, my, my family members and friends and everything just describe me as, you know, uh, I would say focused and busy and very family orientated. I, I, I have three kids under 10 years old. Um, and, uh, you know, I started my company 14 years ago. Right. Um, and I had my first one when I was 29. So, you know, all, all those things have been <laughs> growing up and developing at the same time. Um, so, I mean, you know, I would say that, but also, you know, we, we like to have fun. We like to go out a lot and, you know, um, definitely a good work-life balance as cliche as that sounds is something that's very important to me. So what do you do to have fun? I mean, what, what, uh, what is the, what are your hobbies? I mean, what are some things that you like to do or maybe some things you like to do with your family? Just give me a sense of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in Chicago, man. And I mean, just one of the best things you can do around here is just take advantage of like all the good restaurants and stuff. I mean, it's like, every week there's like some new like world renowned awesome restaurant that's popping up so you know that's number one on my list yeah i'm with you man it's so funny i was uh talking to a friend of mine actually a family member yesterday and he was like you know i'm putting on a team building exercise team building event in nashville and he's like here are some of the things i'm thinking about and he's like you know top golf's on the list and you know axe throwings on the list and this that and the other and he's like is there anything that you might suggest and i'm like man you guys need to go to this bar, you need to go to this restaurant, you need to go to this rooftop bar. And it's just funny because my mind initially goes to restaurants and, and bars and things like that. And to your point, it's like, you know, enjoying that experience is fun. So I'm with you. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, I love throwing axes and shooting and stuff too, but uh, nothing beats, uh, you know, good food and drinks. So. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> So, uh, so going back to kind of what we were talking about as far as, uh, you know, economically uh, in the market and across sort of the world, we live in, a, in an interesting time. I mean, it's a very unique time uh, to be an investor and to be making decisions in the midst of crosswinds in every different direction. I want to dive into that, but give me a sense of uh, sort of your background in, in commercial real estate. When you got involved in the business, you mentioned founding the business, what was it, 14 years ago? Yep. 14 years ago. Um, before I, I, I did this, I 
actually traded interest rate uh, futures. So like three month LIBOR and treasuries and Fed funds and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I have a very good kind of healthy background and like, you know, just interest rates in general. Um, so, you know, compared to like most people that I think are commercial real estate, they just kind of know what they are. Like I really know how they work. Um, and then, yeah, I started this company, you know, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's like a, a, this day it started, right? I mean, it was sure. a work in front, right? But, uh, you know, around the 2008, nine-ish era, um, which, you know, what, what I do is I'm an intermediary to find borrowers capital, right? And connect the lenders and the borrowers. And at the time, uh, it was a financial crisis, right? And mm -hmm. uh, people were having trouble, you know, finding money. And, you know, that it was, it was a great, you know, uh, it was a great company to start at the time, right? I mean, if you, you found money and you found people that are lending, you know, the borrowers needed it and they just kind of came to you. And, and over the time, it just, you know, I, I very, very quickly focused on commercial real estate because that's, you know, I, I, I love it. I'm interested in it. And, you know, that it's grown since then. And 14 years later, man, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're busy, you know, we do several hundred million dollars a year worth of, uh, you know, commercial real estate deals. And we're involved in both the debt and the joint venture equity side. And as far as asset classes in commercial real estate, are you evolved acro involved across all food groups or give us a sense of any niche or specialties that you have? Uh, yeah, all food groups, right? Okay. So, it, you know, to a degree, like real estate isn't rocket science, right? So once you kind of understand like, you know, one asset class, it's not a huge stretch to go into another. Um, I mean, understanding hospitality and hotels is a little bit different, but in general, you know, there's still similar principles. Um, one of the things that we like to do is really follow like macro trends mm -hmm. and then like what's working, right? So, you know, one year I'll be doing a lot of one thing and then, you know, maybe, you know, that industry or that sector is overdone and overbaked. And so we'll pivot into another. For instance, during COVID, right, in 2020, um, there wasn't a lot that was working, right? I mean, we did a lot of hotels. Hotels weren't really, you know, going off <laughs> a big clip. Uh, so we pivoted into home builder financing, right? Because that was an industry that was definitely working, right? There's a huge housing shortage and we know all know what's happened in the residential sector since COVID, you know, uh, happened. So, I mean, you know, th that's one of the things that, that you know, I, I like to do is try to get in front of macro trends and, and and kind of off, you know, and go into those, you know, head on. I think that's really valuable and important, right? We've got to have a sense of where are things going? Like one of my favorite books I've read is, is this book called Big Shifts Ahead. In fact, I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right now. And it's all about trends. It's all about behavior, you know, in the marketplace. You know, we have to be able to evaluate what's happening to be able to make proper investment decisions. And, and of course, yourself, in terms of financing those deals, whether it's from the debt side, from the equity side, you got to get ahead of that. And um, you also have the, the benefit of you know, deciding sort of what food groups are in favor or, or, you know, are on the right side of those trends to be able to get ahead of that. Many investors in some senses, you know, may need to kind of pick a lane and stick with that lane until they re reach a sort of critical mass before they have that luxury. However, um, I think it's important for us to kind of build towards that so that you can pivot so that you can be nimble and, and adapt where necessary. But man, speaking of following macro trends, let's let's get into this because I think this is this is important. So how are you making sense of what's happening across, you know, the macroeconomic environment, geopolitically, obviously, we have a lot of interesting things happening, sort of in the, you know, in far east, uh, far east Europe, and, and um, maybe even north of the border here in the US, we have some interesting things going on. 
So how are you making sense of what's happening in, in addition to sort of what the Fed has been discussing over the past few months? You know, I, I think it's really going to come down to like affecting us in like probably probably really in like two areas. Right. I mean, when, when the, the easiest low hanging fruit of how it's going to affect us right now is geopolitical stuff is really interest rates. Right. And then, you know, and, and it all depends on how far they go. Right. I mean, if you notice, like right when Russia went into Ukraine, like there's there's something called a flight to quality trade. Right. Where everybody goes to the risk free stuff, which is U.S. Treasuries and you know other assets stuff like that. So like very quickly, you know, like uh, the, the first knee jerk reaction was Treasury yields dropped. Right. Um, and then, you know, over the past couple of days, they've, they've come back up. Um, but I think if, you know, if, if things continue to develop and let's say Russia goes into Ukraine and, and right by the time somebody's listening to this, we'll probably know what actually happened. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, but if Russia goes into Ukraine like full on and this turns into some big some, something much, much bigger. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, rates are going to drop pretty significantly because of that risk off trade. Right. And and. Th- so the 10 years is going to go down. And then I would say probably, you know, like Fed rate hikes are probably off the table at that point because um, there's, there's bigger concerns, right? The, the other areas where this really will affect people, right, is input prices and energy costs, right? So mm-hmm. Russia is a huge energy exporter, right? And, and like the, the first, you know, sanctions and all this stuff that they did didn't, you know, Biden came out and said they very carefully crafted the sanctions to not affect energy prices, right? So energy prices haven't gone through the roof, but potentially, you know, that could happen. And if a a much larger war breaks out, energy prices are definitely going through the roof, right? And everything, oil times and everything, especially if you're doing things like building buildings and construction costs, right? It's just going to make everything more expensive. Right. Um, The other parts where this could affect us even further is there, you know, the supply chain issues um, that already exist, I would say that it's just going to exacerbate the whole thing even further, probably more disruption in supply chain in one way or another. Um, so, you know, it, I would just say in general, if we go to war with or if the much bigger altercation happens, I would say higher energy and input costs and, you know, the rate hikes probably off the table, um, the higher, you know, costs of inputs and oil and all this stuff probably gives the fed what they wanted to slow down inflation anyways mm-hmm. plus there's a lot of bigger issues so yeah uh, that, that that's that i mean the, but the whole thing is there's so much uncertainty right i mean the narrative mm-hmm. changes every every hour it seems like so it's totally. hard to really tell where this stuff is going to go right now again by the time somebody's watching this they'll probably know but you know that's where it- we're at and by the way, I mean, we we release these episodes very quickly. But to your point, I mean, things are moving so quickly. It's it's extremely difficult. You got to keep your finger on the right pulse. Now. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, we're we're recording this on February 23rd. And so uh, we'll see how things play out. And obviously, I think it's important for us to understand sort of probabilities of outcomes, um, what may happen in that circumstance, what the contingency plan looks like in that case, what it might look like in another case. So let's talk about let's say that, you know, tensions maybe calm down and maybe they ease. Maybe we don't have a significant altercation or, or anything beyond that. What's your sense of how things might play out in that scenario? I, if that's what happens, I think this is a big non-issue for a lot of people in the U.S., right? I mean, they didn't affect energy prices. 
you know, I don't think, you know, supply chain disruptions are going to happen. And it, the narrative as far as people in the U.S., right, it's going to go back to us. I mean, the, the great thing about real estate, right, is if like, you know, you own a building today, this has an effect. If you own stocks, it's a little bit different story. Totally. Right? There's, a, there's a great marketing piece for owning real estate versus equities. But, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, the, the trend of where rates are going and input costs, it's not going to affect it. It's the bigger altercation that it could possibly happen that could affect, you know, real estate owners in, in two ways, right? Like higher energy and input costs for building, um, which we already have a problem with that today. And then, you know, actually, maybe you get a better interest rate on well, a loan you may be closing in the future. So, I mean, there, there's ways to take advantage of it, you know, um, probably not if you're trying to build something, but, you know, you're trying to refinance or acquire something. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, the, um, the, the imagery that I think of in this circumstance, and I think for, for high performing real estate investors, it's let's be an Eagle instead of a crow or a duck, because what the Eagle does, the Eagle flies above the storm. I don't know if you know this, but literally an Eagle flies above the storm. When you have something significant happening from a weather event perspective, I think that's an amazing thing to think about because it's not like we avoid the storm. We just fly above it. And so we can look down and make decisions as appropriate. And so with all that said, I mean, I don't, I don't think you want me to put my tinfoil hat on. Uh, but if, but if I did, I could talk to you about where I think, you know, some of the bigger picture lies in terms of why certain things are happening geopolitically, um, how that relates to inflation, how that relates to, you know, some shifts in the way that governments are operating across the world. And I think it's, it's all very interesting. And I think it's important for investors to, you know, not necessarily say, all right, well, I'm going to, lean one one aisle of the political spectrum or the other, but it's just to have an understanding and to see things as they are rather than, than to have our ha heads in the sand. Um, and so I would love to know from your perspective. Now, let's let's just look at this and say, all right, we're flying above the storm. We understand that there are certain circumstances that may play out in one direction or the other. Things are always changing. But let's talk about the debt market outlook for commercial real estate in general. I mean, obviously, as we entered 2022, uh, the narrative was in one direction in terms of the Fed saying, look, there's no question to fight inflation. We've got to raise interest rates and, and we've got a, you know, quantitative tightening and all these kind of things instead of the easing that we've seen for the past decade plus. You know, where what do you see in terms of how this is unfolding uh, from a from a financing perspective? I'd love to know from a debt perspective. And then we'll talk about equity. Um, sure. So. There, there's there's a couple different, you know, angles of, of how we view the debt market today. I mean, so one, you know, going back to the recession from coronavirus, right? It wasn't a financial crisis, right? So back in 2008, nobody's lending, yada, 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 right? Financial crisis, and there was low liquidity. We don't have that problem today. There, there is so much liquidity sloshing around the system and on the sidelines and all that stuff. That's not the issue. So there's tons of money to be lent out there. There's tons of equity to do deals, right? It's all looking for a home. There, there's, no, there's no problem with the lending and debt markets at all. Um, we are hitting that era or that, that area where there is, I would say, a, a, a repricing of risk going on um, where I, you know, well, I would say last year, everything was super inflated as far as asset prices. And I, I think today, you know, one, once you start getting this like Fed talk of pulling back in QE and maybe raising the Fed funds rate, 
you know, you get people that start to say, hey, well, what are the assets that are potentially at risk? And then they say, well, maybe, maybe this thing, maybe the price in this asset is too high, right? So they start pulling it up. What that really means to me, as far as repricing of risk, risk is risk really like prices itself in and credit spreads over the index, right? And not to get too technical, right? But when you do a loan, you know, they they price your loan as X spread over, let's say it's a 10-year loan over the 10-year treasury, right? So you've got, let's say you're gonna do a CMBS loan, maybe it's 200 over the treasury. And as I think what we're going to go through in the medium, short to medium term is repricing of risk and credit spreads will most likely widen. Um, so even, even if the 10-year treasury rate, the index didn't really go anywhere, I think you're probably going to see that come through as you know, higher coupons in the short to medium term because of that repricing. And there's a good proxy that you can look at to see where high yield debt is going. And commercial real estate debt is, is high yield debt, right? So if you follow the HYG um, high yield ETF, you know, when that thing gets sold off, you know, you, and you can kind of see like a risk repricing kind of going on. And, and that's what's happened recently. Um, as far as inflation, you know, it, it's my conspiracy theory that the Fed really wants inflation so that they can inflate away some of our national debt um, because, once you start doing QE, you're kind of boxed into how much you can raise rates, right? Totally agree, it, by the way. It's, it's, like, it, it's, it's like having a person with not a lot of disposable income, right? They can only afford so much, but if you inflate away the debt, then you get more wiggle room, right? And so, I mean, that, that may be one of the reasons why they're not saying it, but also at the same time, why they're letting it get away from us. Um, what I'm telling people today is, you know, like, listen, save your equity today, get as much debt for deals that you know are going to work out, you know, as long as you're comfortable with it, right? Don't over leverage yourself, but as get as much debt as you can, you know, if you've got good margin in the back end, because, okay, what was inflation? Realistically, 7%, right? So you're telling me this loan I'm going to take on today is going to be worth 7% less next year. Well, okay, maybe my rate is only 4%. So my real like, what am I really paying? Negative 3%? Mm -hmm. Like, they're actually in real terms paying you to take their money. You know what I mean? By the so, way, only if you're looking at CPI. I mean, otherwise, I think a lot of folks would say, hey, inflation's significantly higher than seven or seven and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. So if you look at the inflation indexes, you'll see they throw out a couple things that, you know, I mean, it, it's, if you're like a real person, you feel those things, right? So you, you throw out energy and, and uh, food prices, but you know, those, those are real prices. Well, and <laughs> it's such a, it's such a good point. I mean, you look at how the, the shift or weighted uh, sort of calculation of certain items within the CPI have changed recently, and you're still seeing historic numbers uh, in terms of that reporting figure. So I think there's definitely some engineering going on there. Um, I think anybody who looks at it with common sense would say that there certainly is. And they, you know, that, that headline number is trying to be suppressed a little bit lower. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we're seeing significant inflation. So to your point, um, it's utilizing that to your advantage and not saying, hey, this is good or bad. It's all right, this is a set of circumstances. So now let's act. At the, at the end of the day, it's all just a math problem, right? For and sure. It's about positioning yourself to be the, in the most advantageous spot in that math problem. And in today, you know, like knowing that, you know, it, your, whatever equity you put into something today, you're potentially taking on that inflation liability versus if you use debt. 
you know, somebody else's, I, you know, and as long as you're going into a good deal, you know, I, I think that's probably a smart move. Um, as long as you're a sophisticated investor and you know what you're doing, I'm not mm -hmm. telling people to go out there and, and get a hundred thousand dollars on a credit card, but you know, it, I think that's something that, you know, given the right circumstances, definitely take advantage of. Yeah. And, and it comes down to what, our friends over at uh, the real estate guys would say it's education for effective action. So you've got to educate yourself to become that sophisticated, sophisticated investor if you're not there yet, because this all can be very dangerous to your point, it, you know, debt and leverage can be a double edged sword. Um, that can be extremely dangerous and detrimental to you. So thinking about all right, well, how are we doing this wisely, not only utilizing it for what it can be to lever our returns, but to be careful and to mitigate that risk. But talk to me about multifamily when I think about uh, bridge versus agency. I mean, I think there's some unique stuff going on there. But how do you how do you think about that? How do you look at sort of those options and how things are unfolding uh, on the multifamily side? Yeah, I mean, as far as like bridge versus agency, it all comes down to like what the strategy is on, you know, on the ingoing and the exit strategy, right? So, I mean, if it's, if it's value add and you're trying to capitalize a CapEx budget, just forget about agency because they don't do that, right? So, it's, it's bridge. Um, the bridge space is, is pretty competitive, right? I mean, I'm pricing right now a bridge deal that's 85% of costs and uh, not LIBOR, SOFR plus, uh, plus 300. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's pretty non-recourse. That's pretty competitive. Uh, you know, and what you saw, you know, the last go around before 2020, it was, it was kind of just this race to the bottom, right. In rates, you know, well spread, right. For multifamily bridge and, you know, pushing leverage higher and higher. And that's a lot of that, like CLO money, right. Um, that goes out in, in that kind of like rate and structure capacity. Uh, agency, it's your tax dollars hard at work. Um, if, if you're looking for a 10 year perm loan, that's the place to go. There's real, there's not a lot of other alternatives, especially if you want non-recourse, 80% LTV, and it's a $3 million loan. That just go to the just go to Fannie Freddie, right? I mean, that's the place to be. Um, they're gonna but hit by far have uh, you know lower interest rates than the vast majority of lenders out there. The the drawback to agency, however, is you know, the prepayment penalties that come along with it. Mm -hmm. right? So, and and this is why, you know, people ask me a lot, like. Oh, should I do an agency deal? <clears throat> well, what? I don't know. I, I don't know. It's an investment. I, I don't know what your investment profile is. If, if you're going to do, if you want to reevaluate this thing in five years, don't get into a 10-year deal, right? I mean, I know you want the interest rate lock for the whole period, but I mean, legitimately, if you want to recap this thing or, you know, sell it and then 1031 into something else within five years, you're going to be mad at yourself in five years when they tell you your prepay is like half a million dollars. So, yeah, you know, they're definitely having some, you know, forward looking uh, expectations as to like when you can get out of this thing and, and stuff like that. It, it really matters when you're doing agency deals and really anything that's securitized and sold off every close. Mm -hmm. And I almost think about it's just options. You got to give yourself options because like we were just saying, I mean, we don't know how next week is going to unfold much less three, five, seven years in the future. We have to have some probabilistic thinking and to put ourselves in the best position to have options, because if you only have one option, then in my opinion, you really have none. Um, you know, and, and that kind of puts you in a challenging position. Would you agree to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. And then like, I think that also ties into another thing that I, I deal with quite often is, um, you know, people trying to predict where interest rates are going to go. Uh, you know, I mean, like, well, should I lock this loan today? Or, you know, I'm my, uh, you know, my aunt's brother is telling or whatever is telling me that, 
interest rates are probably going to go down because they came up so much. Like, eh, they could go the exact opposite direction. You know, like right. I used to trade interest rates for a living and I, I try to telegraph people like there, you don't know where it's going to go a month from now there because they're so sensitive to so many different things. You know, some Eastern European country could be going to war and it, it can move huge. That's got nothing to do with you or right. even in this country. It's an international product. Right. So, you know, what, what I always tell people is like, listen, it, it just if it's a good rate today, you know, close it today. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it where it's going two months from now, three months from now. Uh, I would tell you probably the long term trend is up. But, you know, in the medium term, you, you have no idea. Nobody does. It's like one, it's like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? It's like you have certainty of what you have today. So That's make right. sense of that based on where that fits in the historical perspective. You're looking at it and saying, all right, well, in comparison to, you know, the 1980s, we're double digits plus, you know, this is a significant, you know, still a historically low interest rate environment. So uh, that's, that's really wise counsel. And your real rates like negative 3%. Exactly. Like we just talked about. Yeah. Right, right, now, right. What do you make of the shift from LIBOR to SOFR? I'm just curious. Um, it, it probably needed to happen. Um, I mean, I used to trade LIBOR for a living. Uh, so the, the way that LIBOR prices every day, you know, I, I get it. They were just kind of making up the rates for themselves, right? Can you talk uh, about the differences between the two? Yeah. Um, so LIBOR is the London Interbank Offered Rate, right? Um, and it really the way it prices every day is there was like a, a, an agency over in the UK and they would call around to, I think it's either biggest 12 or 16, you know, money center banks and say, hey, where are you lending money to each other today? and they would get their fixings and then they would take the average of those, right? Um, SOFR's a little different. SOFR's more of like a government overnight rate and it has its own structural problems. You know, I don't know SOFR as well as I knew LIBOR, uh, but you know, SOFR's more, I would say sensitive to like short-term liquidity issues in like, you know, overnight repo markets. So we're getting really sophisticated here. a couple of years ago, sulfur kind of exploded out of nowhere. And then they, that they were talking about that and how it may not be the best alternative for LIBOR. Um, but as at the moment, it's all we got. <laughs> so it kinda is what it is. Um, I, I don't know how many hedging options there are for sulfur yet, like there were for LIBOR, right? So a lot of times we do like a uh, you know, a, a multifamily bridge by LIBOR cap. Um, they're pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. I've been watching kind of the, you know, the hedging the futures markets for sulfur and they're just not as deep as they were for your dollars, which is the LIBOR futures. But but I'm sure, I mean, that will develop over time. But I, I, I think, and I haven't I haven't really gone on this road yet, but I think people that are probably pricing sulfur caps are seeing them a little bit more expensive than LIBOR caps were. So why do you think that it was an appropriate time to make that shift? Um, I think once you get, you know, that level of fraud, <laughs> in, in, you know, in anything, it's probably best just to move away from it. Um, <laughs> there's really... It, it's not a direct alternative, but I think it's the best alternative other than just using, you know, the Fed funds or prime rate to prices. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities or seeking tax optimized 
cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, my friend Damian Lupo just informed me that checkbook IRAs have been made illegal by the U.S. tax court. That means if you have a checkbook IRA, your holdings are now disqualified. That means taxes and penalties of up to 50% or more. Don't panic. Damien and the EQRP company can fix this. Lucky for you, those IRAs can be converted into EQRPs. Plus, you can do this retroactive to the last year, getting tax deductions and reducing your taxable income from last year. Want to invest your 401k or IRA in real estate, Bitcoin, gold, or even your own business? You can. Whether you're a full-time investor, retired, a dentist with dozens of employees, if you're listening, you qualify. The EQRP works and is your secret weapon. And now it's retroactive. They have your solution. By the way, if you got bad advice and use an IRA for an apartment syndication, you are sitting on a UBIT time bomb. But don't worry, there's a solution, the EQRP. The EQRP company is ready to help you get control of your money, kill UBIT, and help you pay way less taxes. Want to learn more about this strategy? Simply text the word ELEVATE to 307-213-3475 for Damien's brand new 2022 EQRP special report. Paying tax or letting Wall Street suck you dry is dumb. Your first step is freeing your retirement money by sending a text to 307-213-3475 with the word elevate. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's talk about equity now. I mean, uh, obviously, thank you for giving us a sense of how you're looking at the debt markets and how things are shifting. And obviously, you don't have a crystal ball. You can't look around and say, here's exactly what's going to happen. But obviously, your experience lends itself to understand sort of how things would cascade if certain circumstances unfold and and what what that looks like today, how that fits into the historical perspective. But in terms of equity, let's talk about that. I mean, in terms of the outlook on equity, talk about yields. Let's talk about flow from certain assets to others um, based on where we're at currently, where, how that's unfolded over the past 12 months, where that, you know, you project that to unfold here over the next 12, maybe 18 or 24 months. I mean, as far as, far as equity, there's probably a couple of things I can say here. I mean, one, it, it, you know, as far as yields, at rates are going to come up, right? And I think a lot of people are saying, oh, as rates come up, you know, cap rates will come up. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't totally think so, at least not to the degree that I think people are expecting. So if you look, I think the best case study for this is really the West Coast of the U.S., right? And even as, since 2008, as yields ro rose, cap rates continue to go down there. And why? Because there was so much equity coming into those areas from Asia, right? And I mean, there was literally equity being laundered through Vancouver and ending up in real estate deals in Washington, Portland, California, in, in, in Seattle, all those places, right? Um, and so really what you saw is, you know, like you could only get debt at like 60, 65% leverage, right? And the rest was all equity. I think we're going to see that to a degree, but in the rest of the country, right? And the areas where, you know, you're probably going to see it most prominently are those like secondary markets that, you know, people are starting to target now. And maybe other asset classes that people are really starting to target right now. The, the, the one that I think probably is going to see the most 
obvious implication of that is probably mobile home parks, mm. manufactured housing communities. Um, it's a very, you know, it's not a huge leap for a lot of, you know, equity guys to say, hey, let's go look at these mobile home parks. You know, it's still habitational, it's still residential, but things are getting like eight, nine, 10 caps. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing people aggregate smaller parks right now into larger pools and get that cap rate arbitrage of like acquiring them at eight caps, but selling them once they hit critical mass at four and a half caps. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the same thing that, you know, we saw go on in the self storage market as well. Um, it, you know, so it, I mean, as, as far as what I think is going to happen to yields, I think just the massive amounts of equity that have been created are, are going to, f- continue to keep cap rates low and, and probably push them even further down. Yeah. And, and I almost think about too, it's like, uh, from what I understand, there's still a significant enough spread historically between cap rates and interest rates. And that's still a pretty significant gap there. So there's even room for that to compress and for us to be in a normalized environment. Do you agree? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a good way to look at it. It's all, you know, comparative to what the alternatives are, right? Um, and, and the thing is, there, there's a lot more ways to make money in, in a real estate deal than just the cap rate, sure. right? So there's appreciation, there are, you know, there's, you know, economies of scale, there's better management, X, Y, Z, right? So it's hard to look at a deal just in what the cap rate is, you know, and, and really understanding everything that's going on. Um, it's hard to look at any deal and what the post cap rate. I mean, if you go on loop that, I don't know what the real cap rate is in those deals, but I guarantee it's not what's in those OM. So it's hard <laughs> to know exactly what's going on. But, you know, I mean, I would say in general, I, I think the actual real yield of deals is going to be con- continue to be compressed by how much liquidity there is in the system. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and like in, in our firm, I mean, of course, cap rate is a great sort of uh, foundational way to look at a deal. And it's a it's it is a data point that we t- pay attention to. But we're not buying these deals all cash. And most investors are not because leverage is is a phenomenal tool. And as we mentioned earlier, it can be an amazing tool. It can also be dangerous if you're not utilizing it in the in the right capacity. One of the things that we're looking at is, hey, what does the cash on cash look like? And what is our business plan to this project? And what's our overall return on investment or, you know, internal rate of return that we project? And of course, you know, you can look at any deal, you can give me a spreadsheet and I can make it work. And and, and many of our uh, colleagues would say the same. And so we have to have a sense of reality. But thinking about it from that perspective, thinking about it from a yield perspective, you know, while properly financing deals, you it seems like you kind of think, hey, we're, we're going to be at least remaining flat or perhaps even compressing further just on, on yields from that perspective? Or what do you thinking, Jake? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's right. So wh- another another trend I've noticed, <clears throat> right, is as like, as property level yields tend to compress, right, you get people that engineer ways of arbitraging, mm-hmm. you know, better yields. And, and now, now we're up in the equity stack, right? And one thing I've, I'm seeing now is differentiation in the way that people are raising equity and what they're actually paying those, you know, those equity investors. Right. And, you know, one in something I'm seeing that to me means that we're going to continue to see very compressed rates is I'm seeing guys <clears throat> able to raise equity, let's say in a fund, right. That's going into real estate equity and they're paying those equity investors out of that fund an, an eight dividend, a nine right. dividend, right. Just flat. Right. Just flat. But that money is going into real estate deals as equity, right? And we all know the real yield on those is maybe much higher. 
So if all they have to pay their investors is an eight pref, right? And then <clears throat> they, they get nothing else, you know, not even any upside. I'm, I'm seeing deals go off like this. Sure. You know, then I, to me, it's like, hey, they'll continue to buy deals all the way up until they're at an, let's say, an eight cash on cash, right? I mean, or at least close to it because that's where it still works. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, there's a long way to go before you really reach the top here. It's a good point. I mean, you see that a lot, or at least I see that a lot where folks are structuring their deals where there's a class A and B equity structure. And, and you know, from a from an investor's perspective or from equity perspective, you know, there's times where it makes sense to, you know, have a little bit of risk mitigation from a, you know, a straight pref perspective that's a little bit higher yield than maybe hoping for additional appreciation or, or projecting additional appreciation with, you know, less of a guarantee along the way. And so there's, you know, th there's an interesting case to be made for that. And of course, to your point, uh, from a sponsor's perspective, that helps make deals pencil a little bit better in terms of that overall yield. And sure. uh, so I think but it does work to get done at, at very high prices. Exactly. Right? Especially and in, you part, know, to part of the, the trend here that I've noticed. And I think if you so if you were able to get this data off of LinkedIn, the per the amount of people that I think, you know, classify themselves as syndicators has probably exploded. I'm going to guess, a, you know, at least 10 times over the past 18 months. You know, what do you and, make of that? You know, um, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think there's probably a couple unsophisticated people that are doing it. Uh, I also think somebody is going to get pinched for selling real estate securities when they're not when saying they're joint ventures. Sure. Uh, so that's something I think people really need to pay attention to. Uh, but, you know, I mean, as far as if you're an investor, I'd say, you know, just be careful about who you're syndicating with. There's a lot of good, good sponsors out there that have owned their own portfolios and that I work with personally that are great and they're, they're going to continue to be great and great at invest alongside them. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, there's probably some people out there that you got to be careful about. And I, I think the biggest, the biggest issue that I do see coming up here is, you know, what constitutes a real estate security and it's kind of like autopilot, right? I mean, as long as the deals are going along, okay, nothing can happen, but some are going to go down and then it, the SEC might come knocking on these guys' doors and just mm -hmm. make sure doing things correctly, you know? Yeah. Securities laws is not, not complicated. And I think there's people that don't know about them that are doing syndications. I totally agree. I think it's a sign of the times. I mean, we've we've been in a bull market for over a decade at this point. And, you know, that lends itself to, you know, it's it's interesting. You look at one of the biggest search terms on Google, and this is aside from what we're talking about right now, is how to get my real estate license, you know, across the country. People are wanting to get into real estate. They're quitting their jobs or corporate jobs or whatever. And they're saying, you know what, real estate market's hot. Let me just go and get my license. And, and um, I'm sure we're seeing a massive uptick in realtor and things like that. And so where does that shake out? You know, how does that, you know, here's the thing, man, every market cycle, I believe, I mean, the stats will show this, will shake out some of the folks that are not performing or not making the appropriate decisions. And so I think the market always corrects that naturally, but I think it is an interesting thing to point out. Yeah. Um, what I, and the trend that I'm, that I'm seeing personally is the, I would guess, main streetization, if I can say that right, <laughs> of commercial real estate, right? I mean, commercial, I'm starting to see like small commercial buildings. That's the fix and flip of 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just starting to see that more and more happening, like 
more people interested in commercial. And I've got people around Chicago that I know are residential guys. How, how do I get into doing commercial deals? That's, that's any other stuff. Uh, you know, it, I think over the next 10 years, it's just going to be really, really interesting. Like, like commercial real estate is always this like, it's like a small industry that nobody ever really knows how they got into it. Right. And then, yeah. like, you know, you just some one day you just found yourself doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, the amount of people in it is going to continue to get bigger and bigger. Um, I mean, look what Grant Cardone did off of Snapchat. Right. I mean, these commercial real estate guys. So, you know, I think there's, you know, it's definitely getting a much broader appeal. Um, than it used to have. And it's it's not quite as boring as it used to be. Yeah, that's a good, I, I like that. And uh, I think about it from one perspective, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are when you think of like small commercial buildings today being kind of the fix and flips of 10 years ago in the single family uh, residential space. I think that's a really interesting concept. And it almost seems like the set of circumstances that we've been dealing with, that we are dealing with, thinking about macroeconomics, micro and, and so forth across, you know, this country and otherwise, people are being forced to one end of the yield curve uh, or the risk curve, perhaps, um, that, you know, maybe they hadn't been previously. And maybe that's a function of that. I mean, is that how you look at it? Yeah, um, I, I, I do. Right. Um, obviously, people being the, the people that used to be able to fix and flip residential. <clears throat> right. Um, the, the margins aren't quite as there, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to be, I think there's less deals to go around and more equity looking for deals. So as it happens, you're just going to get people <clears throat> that are going to go to other places, right? And, and look for more you know, for yield in different areas. Like, I mean, the, the, again, I'll go back to mobile home parks. The biggest, that's one of the, like, the biggest canary in the coal mine right there of people looking for yield is I've got guys that, uh, you know, are raising funds out of Manhattan and leaving their condos in Manhattan to go drive around Alabama looking for mobile home parks. Yeah. You know what I mean? That tells you all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, New York equity looking for mobile home parks. So, I mean, that gives you an idea of like kind of the search for yield that's going out there. And, you know, it's not just a search for yield, it's a search for good yield. Right. And so those areas where people can find it, I think is, is really, you know, where the money's going to go. And then, you know, go the small balance commercial space, think people that were doing fix and flips and you know going into there are going to be pushed into commercial and also it's something that hasn't been really pushed very hard into the general public yet but it, it, it's happening now right through crowdfunding mm-hmm. through various things you know I mean I see knit your capitals commercials on CNBC before I only used to see you know, that guy on LinkedIn um, and, you know, so it's getting a much broader appeal. And I think, you know, the first step is somebody invests in some crowdsource deal. And then the next thing they're like, hey, maybe I'll do this myself for, you know, so there's probably various ways to get into it. But, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's going to become more mainstream. To your point, in this part of the market cycle, I think it behooves any passive or active investor to kind of do your homework and your research a little bit more, surround yourself with folks like Jake and engage in these type of conversations because, man, there's a lot of crosswinds as we as we have been kind of discussing in this conversation thus far. But uh, even just, hey, who are you investing with? What are, what is their uh, what does their track record look like and how do they weather uncharted territory? Um, how do they sort of enhance their own sort of business plan or 
enact contingency plans when things go, you know, the different direction, because that's always a possibility, man. This is, uh, you know, things don't always go up. I know that uh, memes want us to think that, you know, stocks and real estate and everything just always goes up. But guess what? Uh, 2008 uh, reminds us that that is not the case. But man, give us some tips. Give investors some tips to navigate the crosswinds of this economic environment. Is there anything else that you would add aside from what we've already talked about? As far as like owning real estate, right? If if you're if you're looking for a deal, I think if you're going into the right local economy, right, where you know there's lots of population growth, local economy is doing well, there's job growth, and then you know pay attention to like the coronavirus restrictions, right? I mean, if you're buying a hotel, you never know it might get shut down. If there's what what Zeta variant, whatever, right? For sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I think as long as you're going into, you know, a good, strong market and you want to buy, let's say, you know, residential or multifamily or something, you're, you're probably going to do okay, right? There's ways to screw it up. And I think the biggest, you know, you know way that a lot of people um, really like one misconception of commercial real estate is a lot of people are like, I'm going to buy this investment and it's going to sit there and just make me money. It's not an investment. It is a operating business there. And if you think it's anything, otherwise you're going to be, learn that very painful mistake at some point in the future. Um, don't manage it yourself unless you're a property manager. Like I get a lot of guys who are like, oh, I own three houses. I'm going to operate this 20 unit apartment building. I don't think so. Hmm. Get a property manager company, you know, what I mean? like make, figure out what they do for a couple of years and then manage it yourself. It's like, I guarantee you. And this just happened to me. I own three buildings in Chicago. Everyone, Eventually, somebody's going to fall asleep with a cigarette in their map and the mattress is going to go up and you're going to have a fire unit and you, that's going to happen and you're going to have, need people to help you to, to do that because you're operating another business. So there's suspiciously a specific scenario that, that just happened to me two months ago. Um, but that's what I say. Align yourself with the right operating partners, right? And, and do that first. Like, don't find a deal and then go find a project. Maybe call around the property managers first ask them about the right areas investment. A lot of times these guys have properties in their manager portfolios that people are selling and get a good crack at those first, right? Um, I, so I think, I think building out your own team of operational and then maybe support, maybe touch base, a couple of finance people, you know, that, that's really the first step because everybody wants to get a loop net and just find deals. But I, I think building out your, your business side before you go start the business is the most important part. That is so valuable. I think it's important, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we focus on this podcast and mindset, mind expansion, personal development, because those things can allow you to be a better business owner, operator, decision maker, because it is, it's not just, it, it really in many ways is not autopilot. Even if you are a passive investor in a larger deal or in a fund, I mean, you, you've got to actively be making decisions and, you know, in, implementing a strategy based on everything that's happening and based on your goals. And so, sure. um, man, I wanted to, on that note, I wanted to actually kind of shift gears just a bit in terms of the way that you think about life and the, and, and the way that you think about, um, you know, how this fits into the bigger picture of, of your goals and, and sort of your outlook. You shared uh, your life rules, man. And I, I'd love to, to hear that. You, you shared this on LinkedIn. I'd love for you uh, to elaborate on your, your 10 life rules and what that means uh, to you. But are you open to going into that? Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, so that's so funny, brother. Um, I originally like, like I have like a couple principles that I just kind of like do day to day. Right. 
And I originally put that together as like, uh, just for my kids, right? Like, hey, what if I walk out the door and, you know, bus hits me, you know, I've got three young kids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What is some good advice that I could like wait for? And so like, I kind of like, you know, spent, you spent some time like writing that stuff up and some of that stuff, like, you know, I've learned from other people, like some of those are some like Arnold Schwarzenegger principles. I think there's an Elon Musk one in there, I love that. you know, no, it's great. Um, so that, that's really where it came from. And it's generally speaking, like it's, it's one of those philosophies where you, you know, you make the, it's kind of like that book, the tipping point, right. Where it's generally, you make the right, you know, risk reward decisions consecutively over time. And then, you know, look at it in like a longer burn and eventually things tip in your favor. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, that, that's also one of the, like, just a general concept of like the rules I, I put together. I, I can't end well off the top of my head, but they're written down. <laughs> they're also <laughs> on my LinkedIn. As you know. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of why I did that. And, and I think, you know, generally speaking, a lot of it has to do with, you know, my experience of, you know, like go out and, and do the things that you, you really want to don't worry about like, Oh my God, is this going to work out? You know what? I I have screwed up and failed so many times at things, but you know, eventually, you know, those, those, you learn from those and it's kind of like walking down a hallway and like the failures are what kind of like creates the the walls. Right. And eventually the, they kind of point you in the right direction of where to go. Like I, I started my business Clap and capital 14 years ago. I had no commercial real estate background at all. I knew commercial real estate was made out of bricks and I was sitting in a building. That's basically all I knew about. So, (laughs) you know, I knew the concept and I just started making phone calls and doing it. And like, you know, I I think at this point it made like 500,000 cold calls or something like that. Wow. Feels like it. Uh, But, you know, I mean, that's just kind of how I started, right? I mean, I I wasn't worried about like, oh my God, well, I don't have a green commercial real estate from Northwestern, but you know, it was just Mm -hmm. like, it was the concept of what I was doing. And then I knew eventually, you know, like we we kept going the right direction and, you know, and pushing forward, it was, it was going to work out. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just recap them because I've got them in front of me. And the first one was to what you are alluding to is don't be afraid to fail. So that's the first one. I love that. And by the way, we'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find this on LinkedIn so that you can see the elaboration because each philosophy has a bit of an elaboration, which is very appreciated. And by the way, another comment while I go through this is borrowed wisdom is beautiful. And uh, we have the opportunity of borrowing wisdom. And that's one of the beauties of a podcast is, hey, if you hear something, you want this to be one of your life rules, go ahead and take it. If you took it from Elon Musk, that's amazing, right? We have that opportunity. Uh, The second one here is always ask. And, uh, you know, of course, you elaborate on that. It's I I think it's surround yourself with other people um, and ask. And and that was a big lesson that I learned early in my commercial real estate career as well. It's because I was too afraid to ask because I I didn't want other people to know that I didn't know the answer. But uh, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, I'll continue. Break the rules is another one. Control your emotions and trust yourself. That's another one. Consistently accomplish small goals. Love that. It's okay if other people don't like you. Sometimes you don't need to think, recognize patterns and take advantage of them, which has been a big, um, you know, part of our conversation today. Risk less than you get back as a reward. Love that. And then lastly, minimize your regrets. So Jake, uh, I appreciate you sharing that and appreciate you giving us a look into how you look at things. And, And I really like that thought too of, hey, you know, 
let's put a contingency plan in place for our family and allow share that wisdom and principles and timeless wisdom with them in case that you're not there to teach it to them so that they can embody that and move forward. But Jake, this was fun, man. I really appreciate this conversation. I want to transition into our rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. I think our conversation today has been uncommon uh, in the fact that many people, uh, you know, are not willing to have these conversations or to put political differences aside to look at things as they are and make decisions in that way. But but we are and I've appreciated that. So let's talk about a few things. I'd love to ask you if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? You mentioned the tipping point, and by the way, it's a great book. But is there any? Are there any others? I gotta, I gotta tell you, man. I, I I struggle a lot of time to read full books because I read about thirty different news articles every single day. Um, oh, I feel that. Yeah. So, well, are there any news sources that uh, that come to mind or that are really important for you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll bring up my RSS feed here, man. Um, there's a so a, a great resource for anybody that wants like a good like synopsis of like current real estate articles. Here um, is uh, there's the wealth management real estate does a like top ten reads of the day. That's actually that's pretty decent. Um, the other stuff I read here is again like hospitality net, Ion Housing, Inside Self Storage, CNBC Real Estate. Uh, the NIOP newsfeed, uh, banking regulations and risk. Um, I'll throw this out there. I write for Benzinga, so read my articles on Benzinga. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I am about this close to being done with a book myself. Uh, so I got that going on too. I'll let you know when that comes out. Um, I, I'm kind of toying around with just putting it on as like a free download on our website. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's basically, you know, a lot to do with like commercial real estate trends and capital markets. Um, the the other the, the other most recent books that I've read and I really enjoy are like Freakonomics books. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I I was an economics major in college and I was kind of like how, you know, applying that to, you know, weird scenarios, you know, works out really well. And like, I mean, they, they applied it to like the, I think uh, it's like Kobayashi, like hot dog eater guy at one point. Is, so, you know, th- those are cool. Um I, I do like reading those. So that I would say those are the most recent ones. I I like that. I, I think there's some really good tips there and uh, appreciate you sharing that. Hey, you're reading 30 plus articles on a consistent basis. And, and obviously it shows, I mean, in terms of having a pulse on what's happening, you're, I'm sure you're recognizing patterns, right? You're seeing differences, but you're seeing the bigger picture and you're able to kind of synthesize that by continuing to read and, and stay uh, abreast of things. But man, I'm like you, it's like, I, I just, I just endlessly am fascinated with the macroeconomic circumstances uh, of today and how that fits in historically. And it sounds like you're just you just can't get enough of it yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's really what's allowed us to be successful. Right. I mean, my biggest year was 2020. And then my biggest year after that was 2021. So, you know, I mean, I it, it's one of those things like you so like a lot of like stock managers. Right. I mean, it's kind of like picking the indexes, you know, you you get out of the index when it's high and then you go into the different sector and then ride the wave up. That's kind of the way that I think about, you know, going after macro trends in real estate as well and kind of pivoting our business into there. Where's the most money going? I'm going to get involved where there's the most activity and where there's the most equity going on and where there's the most competitive lending landscape and take advantage of that and ride the whole, uh, you know, secular wave up. And then when cap, you know, when apartment cap rates are 3%, figure out something else. To do. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly right. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Jake? 
trying to be better the next day than I was the one before. And how do you do that? I mean, is it just sort of a, a feel, you know, sensory acuity? It's like, all right, now let's, you know, let's improve on things that we failed on. Or what does that look like? You know, kind of, kind of having like goals that I'm working towards and always adding on, but at the same time, not losing what I did previously. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a constant addition, right? It's kind of like going to the gym and lifting weights, man. It's like, you, you don't walk into the gym and start throwing around, you know, hundred pound dumbbells day one, you work up to it. But as soon as I'm doing, you know, hundred pound dumbbells, I, I don't go back to the tens. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's about you know, like keep, you know, upkeep and not losing what you've already gained through experience and, you know, knowledge and everything, but then continue to add on to it. Mm -hmm. And I actually have it following through on those goals in the first place and, and, you know, actually doing it. So. Totally agree. I, I almost look at it as the compound effect and that yeah. continuation of stacking starts to become exponential. So that's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Um, well, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I try to take as much, you know, genuine pleasure myself out of doing things for other people. Um, and not worried about just, you know, what people think about me, but just the general concept of being generous over tipping people into restaurants, you know, being nice, doing nice things, for my family, uh, those things tend to come back to you in, you know, multiple dividends. That's awesome, man. Well, Jake, this is, uh, this has really exceeded my expectations. And by the way, I had high expectations for our conversation today. And, uh, I just want to acknowledge you for your commitment to learning and serving your clients, um, growing your business, serving your family, leaving a legacy. There's a lot to, uh, to point to and a lot to aspire to for many of the listeners. And I just appreciate you. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? You know, well, you've, you've covered all my words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I mean, I, I would just say, like, listen, things are, you know, we're, we're in a very fast paced kind of dynamic environment. Now, I mean, th things, economic trends that used to take years to change are changing overnight now, you know, and I, I think, you know, you can, you can do the thing where you just get involved with something and stick with it and maybe just coast it out. Um, or there's a way to take advantage of it. And it, it's really staying up to date, day to day with what's going on. And, and again, recognizing the patterns and, and trying to pivot into the areas where you see upside. Um, and I think that's as true today in real estate as it is in anything else. Um, so that's actually a really interesting. And I wanted to just quickly follow up. You know, I've heard someone mention this recently. And, and obviously, I think it'll be interesting to see how things play out and if this truly is the case. But, you know, historically, uh, commercial real estate cycle has been about 10 years. What some people are saying now is that the cycle is now compressed to maybe more of an 18 to 24 month type of period, or maybe even further compressed time frame than that. I mean, what's your take? Yeah, no, it could be. Um, because of technology and because of, you know, speed I, of I communication. Well, 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 if you think about where the income stream is coming from, right? Like everything's a derivative, right? Real estate's really a, a derivative of the people that are renting it and paying rent for it. And, right. they're, and those companies are driven of the overall economy. And there's technology in the way, right? And on the corporate level. And, you know, if you look at what's going on in retail industrial, great, great points here, right? And there's just so much going on just constantly with tech development in retail that's also affecting industrial because everything, you know, everything's going e-commerce, right? And so you're getting, you know, a lot of 
tenancy that I and I think capital that used to be going into retail that's now going into logistical space for warehouse and and that happened fast right and especially when you have things like coronavirus that was just a trend accelerator right in in every way possible right I mean coronavirus didn't start trends it it just it exacerbated mm-hmm. all the trends that were already happening I think so in so yeah, I, I think it definitely an 18 to 24 month cycle, but even on the residential side, right. And multifamily, there's definitely things that will, you know, affect that. For instance, if I was just hearing, you know, that, uh, you know, our ambassador Yun was saying is if Russia overtakes Ukraine, 5 million people will be displaced. I guarantee a lot of those are coming here. That could be, you know, that's maybe we get a million of those people. That's all. That's a million more people in your houses in an already supply constricted industry, right? So things can change very quickly. It doesn't matter what field you're in, right? Um, I mean, hospitality also, you know, that changes overnight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the cycle's definitely narrowed. Um, so definitely staying on top of trends and knowing what's going on, even in other parts of the world um, will be important. Jake, this is good stuff, man. I've, I've, again, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I could go for like a few days in a row now and uh, maybe take like a nap in, in between and, and come back to it. But uh, we'll continue the conversation, I'm sure. But uh, tell the listeners where they can learn more about you and uh, your business. Yeah, uh, well, I'm personally unbelievably easy to find. Um, LinkedIn, Jake Clopton. Um, I, I think I've hit the connection max, but you can follow me. Um, uh, my website, cloudandcapital.com, or just call us directly. Um, I'm always around a chat. Awesome. And we'll put links in the show notes as where the listeners can find you, Jake. But again, my friend, until next time, thanks again for being on the show. Likewise. Appreciate it. Elevate Nation, what an awesome conversation with Jake Clopton. And I just appreciate him because... You know, we were all trying to make sense of what's happening uh, economically, you know, macroeconomically across the world, across across this country and in the regions and markets that we focus on. And so I hope that this was helpful for you to make more sense of what's happening and to make more sense of how you can make better strategic decisions in your own investment portfolio based on your goals for where you're looking to accomplish or what you're looking to accomplish and where you're looking to go and where you're looking to take things. That's how we back into it. This is uh, one of the points of leverage. It's information, it's insight and it's decision-making fodder. So I hope that today was valuable for you. I want to encourage you to share this episode with a friend, go ahead and have a discussion with someone else. We have to have discourse, especially in uncharted territory in terms of the economic times that we're in currently. And of course, we're always in a historic environment, but it almost feels like currently is a little bit more historic than normal. And so I definitely want to encourage you to have a discussion with one person or maybe even invite a group together to utilize this discussion as your case study and dissect various parts of what we've talked about, whether it's interest rates, whether it's debt market, whether it's equity, whether it's yield compression, um, whether it's supply chain. Uh, One of the things we didn't talk about was construction costs and where are those things going, Um, geopolitical moves and how that impacts um, yields in the United States and otherwise, and how that impacts other sort of domino effects in the, in the marketplace from other countries and so forth. And so, you know, having a discussion about that, I think is critical, putting action steps in place, creating rules, being willing to be adaptive and nimble and pivoting based on trends. And so having a, having a discussion on that, I think is a big separator. And one of the ways that high performing real estate investors become even higher performing 
and can outlast, uh, you know, sort of the competition and can be successful in the long term. Uh, because really that's what it's all about. It's about long-term success and that's what we're about here on Elevate. So I want to encourage you to identify not only sort of the opportunity to discuss, but your top three takeaways. What are your top three distinctions? And also, of course, most importantly, what's the one thing that you're going to take massive action on immediately? Maybe you're going to put something in your calendar. Maybe you're going to journal about something. Maybe you're going to do some more research on a certain topic or part of the discussion from today. I want to encourage you to make time and make a commitment to take massive action. And so thankful to have the opportunity of bringing this conversation to you. So thank you again for listening. And until next time, Elevate Nation, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.